Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. There were 19 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. I am joined by 10 of my classmates. As of yesterday, in Gaza, 9,056 people had been killed. 3,718 of them were children. We are watching genocide in real time. Colton Briscoe, uh, live in California now. I'm still pissed off at Kent for two reasons. One, he uh, brought in all these authors that, that I that I couldn't keep up with, and mm-hmm. and now he wants me to think on my own. That's it's it's just <laughs> no 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 original thoughts. Ham. Uh, Hampton Howell. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a not yet retired clinical psychologist, just like some friends of mine. And uh, now last night, uh, uh, when I when I wake up during the night, sometimes I turn on uh, Audible, and uh, I turned on the podcast uh, last night, and I'm never going to do that again because I I got totally awake and and into it from like three o'clock on, and I I I really love you all. This this is this is this is really marvelous stuff that you're all saying. <laughs> In, in a bunch of different ways, and that's partly because of your good editing. I th- I think Kent, Kent that, that that you give each of us uh, a, a, a way to to get a brief rant while uh, in while we're there. But the, the, there were just so many good things that everybody was saying. This was last week's podcast, and I really wow. recommend it strongly. Good, good, good. Bill, Bill Collins, Aiken, South Carolina, retired Navy nuclear guy. So I'm a trained perpetrator of violence, organized <laughs> violence. <laughs> and I have to say, uh, you know, the use of violence is something that should be avoided if at all possible. And I've believed that for a long time. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I, you, you see something that I haven't seen yet, Ken, if you think that Israel is is turning the corner on moderating this thing. I I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about that then. Let's go, John. Oh, hi, John Woodford, um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, retired editor, writer. Yeah, um, that's it for my introduction. I won't make a comment on that, except that remains to be seen what what Israel is going to do. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Peter. Yeah. Pete DeLisavoy, I'm an editor and writer and live in New Hampshire. And back in the day in the 60s, I spent about a week in Jerusalem and in Palestine. Uh, I guess I guess we call it East Jerusalem at that time because my uncle or my great uncle was a had been a he was a archaeologist working there and had been working there doing the Dead Sea Scrolls and so forth since the 40s. And I still remember, and my aunt was an ex- expert shopper, and she would take us around the old city. And I still remember how charming it was and bargaining and so forth. And I still have some things I bought at that time and, and the Arab side of Jerusalem and 
uh, so charming. I don't think anybody, whatever things were like then and so on, I don't think anybody could have uh, imagined this past that things are at now. And I, I actually, my take is that neither side really knows what they're doing. And uh, I I have to thank Liz for that nice poem, Hafez poem that she sent us. And the key word for, for me in that poem was deception. And I think uh, everybody's operating under a, some kind of a huge illusion. Anyway. Okay. We'll talk about that. Anne. Uh, which one? <laughs> Go ahead. Ann Huberman. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Uh, yeah. I'm Ann Huberman in Peterborough, New Hampshire, retired academic librarian and climate activist now. And I find this all so distressing and confusing. And I'm just, I'm hoping to, I'm really <clears throat> curious to see what happens in our discussion. Okay. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry Segundi, I'm in Pasadena, California, and I'm not yet retired environmental lawyer. Uh, and my quandary is, if this had happened to the United States, what do you think our reaction would be? What would we be doing at this point? Good question. Good question. Liz. Hi, I'm Liz Morey, um, and I'd like to point out that everybody on this call is a member of the Harvard Radcliffe class of 1963. Um, I'm living just outside of D.C. in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And I am another one of these almost completely retired psychologists. And uh, I identify as a Californian, even though I've lived on the East Coast for quite a while. Okay, Doug. Uh, hi, uh, Doug Shapiro. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, the weather's turned cold here, uh, although it's supposed to warm up again tomorrow and over the weekend, which uh, that will be good for all of us here. Um, I probably said more than I should have been saying <laughs> online in the past week about this whole situation. So uh, let's just see what people have to say. Okay, Ann Gross. Uh, yes, I'm Ann Gross. Um, I'm. I was raised as a Quaker, so I'm a I'm a peacenik from way back, and the whole uh, wars of any kind really. Uh, upset me to the core. I'm also a mostly retired psychotherapist and uh, have specialized in post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think about all of the kids on both sides of this who are tra traumatized uh, in ways that we can't even imagine and who are going to go on to become traumatized adults. And what kind of world are we, are they going to have? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, Marcy. Um, <clears throat> I'm director of Clean Air Campaign and its Open Rivers Project in New York City. And I've spent much of my work life trying to get government and governance to work uh, to reduce the harm to human beings from evil and greed. Let's start with Doug. What's Where, where are you at on this, Doug? Well, um, let me just say something that I don't think I or anyone else has said so far in our emails. And that is that if there were, if someone came across a border and killed one person or two people or three people or something like that, uh, chances I think are very good that uh, that whole situation will be handled by uh, 
the local police or maybe the FBI or someone like that. But it would be a more or less, root, quote, routine act of, of terrorism, shall we say, or at least murder. Um, but if you have people coming across the border and they kill 1,400 people, it seems to me that that pushes the whole situation into a whole different realm. And I mean, not that there are any rules or laws about these kinds of things, but I think it's going to be treated in a very different way by uh, the people who run whichever country it is uh, who's been killed by like And I think that's really a, a big part of what's been going on here. Uh, how it's handled uh, once you know, the, 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 the initial country that has suffered these losses uh, begins to handle it, it's a whole different kind of a question. And I think that uh, it would be interesting to talk about, although I don't think anyone, one of us has any answers, uh, if Bibi Netanyahu were not the, uh, uh, the prime minister of Israel, and there was someone from uh, one of the other uh, parties that are uh, less right wing uh, were in the office. Would Israeli's response be different? And if so, to what extent? I don't know the answer to that, um, but I guess it's worth thinking about. <laughs> but I mean, what do you think is proportionate? I mean, what, what, don't you feel a sense of, I mean, if, if, if 1400 were killed, how many, how many, uh, what does that equal in terms of how many, uh, you know, got people killed in Gaza? I mean, how, how do you balance? Zero. Huh? No, zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying is I think if there were different people in office now, it might be handled differently, although... I don't know. You know, Israel has gone through a lot of wars over the, the past half century or more and uh, different kinds of uh, politicians and thinkers or non-thinkers, as the case might be, have been running the country of Israel at the time of those wars and so forth. Once a war gets started, you know, I don't know who actually controls the, the nature of the fighting. Um, so I, I think it's anyone's guess, you know, what the consequences would be if somewhere else were, were in charge now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, P Peter. Yeah, well, so much, so much of this is not uh, proportional or rational. It's, it's emotional. And uh, in, in part, and so that's what I meant by the poem, uh, the word deception. Uh, yeah. People are in one way or another, deceiving themselves. But um, in part, in, at one level, in part, and in partial response to what Doug is saying, uh, <clears throat> there was, I mean, this incursion occurred <clears throat> because of a, uh, you know, some bad intelligence practices. And you know, if all these tanks that are there now could have been on the border, then it, it wouldn't have happened. So there has to be a, you know, when you get injured in some way as a result of your own fault or your letdown in some sense, 
you have a different kind of a reaction. I, I, I actually think that Doug is right. If there was a different leader, it might be different. But there's a leader who is partly to blame for a uh, unaccountability or simply letting down the defenses of the country down there. And there's got to be an incredible uh, kickback of emotion in, in that person uh, to make up for a mistake of their own, you know? So yeah. that'd be my, my comment. Uh, Alden. Um, just a couple of things. One, John raised the question a little bit ago about how would we react? And, and I think that's a good question. Um, I, we do have one example when uh, some people, mostly from the Middle East, uh, attacked us on 9-11. On uh, we went to war in Afghanistan. Um, so, and, and I think Bush felt he had Iraq. to do that. We went to uh, Iraq. And, and second, um, when the idea was that we had to go to war in Iraq for reasons that nobody has, has ever been able to make clear to me, uh, Hillary Clinton felt she had to vote for it. She voted for it because she wanted to be president, and she knew if she voted against it, she would never be president. Third, uh, I think the military always says, we can do it. Don't worry. We can make, we, we can succeed. Now, how they're going to get rid of Hamas, I have no idea. How do you, how do, you do that? I mean, that's yeah, what, 2%, 3% of the population, 1%, half a percent. Uh, I don't know how you do that. Finally, I want to tell a little story that, from my experience, uh, I spent the summer of 1964 in, in what was then Yugoslavia, is now Croatia, in Zagreb, and I was living with a family, and the brother there, uh, or my person was basically my brother, uh, I continued to send Christmas cards to over the years, and at the time when the Serbs and the Croats were just killing each other massively, I, I, I just didn't know what to say in a Christmas card, so I said, I hope the killing stops. And that's all I could say. And I sent this Christmas card. About two weeks later, I got a, a response from him. And it was for his 14-year-old son had written uh, about the history of all the terrible things the, the Serbs had been doing to the Croats for the last thousand years. And I, I don't, I think when you build, that it's easy to build up or it's possible to build up this kind of hate. I don't know. I, I don't understand. I don't hate anybody yet that much to do this kind of stuff. But I think uh, when you build this kind of hate, it, it just it just explodes. So that's the end of my... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bill. Yeah. Um, you mentioned 9-11. I was going to mention 9-11. The United States reacted to 9-11 by launching this attack on first Afghanistan and then Iraq, which were not successful. We're completely unsuccessful. Right. And yet it was a strong emotional reaction. Now, at the time, particularly the invasion of Iraq, I said, goodness, what is going on here? You know, the, the Soviet Union had collapsed. And I rather cynically said to myself, the weapons makers are running out of work. They've got to create work for themselves. And so they stimulate the politicians to go to war. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just a, a horrible thing. And uh, proportionality, to my mind, the, the proportionality of what Israel is doing in, in Gaza is just out the window. Uh, completely terrible. 
And that video we saw that I saw last night, somebody sent around. Was that John that sent around the video? The of the uh, October 7th? Yeah, yeah, right. That was me. Oh, okay. Yeah, as you can't. Yeah. And that's a very plausible thing that he had to say, I thought, uh, that, that the Israeli response to the terrorists in Israel at the time ended up killing a lot of people. And the Israeli armed forces may have killed more people than the Raiders did. Um, it's just war. Violence is a very blunt instrument. War is a terribly blunt instrument. That's why we should avoid it if at all possible. Yeah. People yeah. talk about precision strikes. There's no such thing as a precision strike. Yeah, that's all I'll say. Okay, uh, Liz. Um, yeah, I think um, all of us are saddened and shocked. Um, and I have not watched the video. I I, I will, but I, I tend to stay away from uh, kind of visual expressions like that because they just imprint themselves on my brain and it's hard for me to get rid of them. Um, I think one thing uh, may uh, partly determine a person's reaction to what's going on is their answer to the question of, is the state of Israel legitimate? Um, because I think based on your answer to that question, certain other things follow. Um, and um, again, I, I think there are many answers to that question. From from my point of view, I, I think the state of Israel, the establishment of the state of Israel was was not legitimate. Um, and I think, I don't know whether it was on this call, somebody was saying that basically Europe solved their Jewish problem um, by establishing the state of Israel um, rather than dealing with their Jewish problem in Europe. Um, so that's that's kind of my take. And then if, if I have that take, then a lot follows from that. Uh, obviously, Hamas has done something that is unspeakable and unconscionable. Um, and yet I have the same reaction that mm -hmm. I had when the US decided that we needed to go to war in Iraq. And uh, going back to what Ann Groves was saying about, you know, what do we deal with? The, how do we deal with the traumatized populations that we create? Um, and we create not only traumatized populations in those that we attack, but we know perfectly well that we create traumatized populations among the attackers. Um, and I was very respectful of John's comment about uh, the Israelis really want to live in a militarized state where all they can do is just be alert and hypervigilant about what goes on. So um, that's what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. Jerry. Well, good morning. Um, you know, I don't know that. Uh, well, let me back up and say, I think I've told you before, my Jewish father did not was not a supporter of the state of Israel. He felt the promised land was here in the United States. And he thought the Israelis were quite frankly crazy trying to carve out a country where they would be attacked on all sides. Uh, I was a great admirer of Golda Meir and Ben-Gurion, but I'm certainly not a great admirer of the current administration in Israel. Uh, I, I think they are fascist. Uh, I think they're 
treatment of the Palestinians has been absolutely uh, egregious. Um, having said that, I don't know that the United States has a lot of moral authority to direct Israel one way or the other. I mean, we're the ones that carpet bombed Dresden and other cities in Germany. We dropped two atomic bombs. We certainly didn't worry about killing babies or grandmothers or anyone else. We killed hundreds of thousands. We invaded Iraq and killed hundreds of thousands also there, not to mention Afghanistan. So I think we have very little moral authority at this point in time. My problem from a personal point of view is um, I'm not someone that turns the other cheek. If someone slaps me in the cheek, I hit back. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an admirer of Martin Luther King, but I don't have the moral courage that he had, is what it amounts to. And so if I'm an Israeli and I've lost, we'll call it 1,400 citizens, I, I have no idea what the true number is. What do I do at that point in time? Do I invade the Gaza Strip? Because that's where Hamas is, and Hamas has stated publicly that their object is to destroy Israel. Iran's object is to destroy his, Israel. Hezbollah's object is to destroy Israel. So what do I do at that point in time? Do I invade? I've got 240 hostages at that point in time. Do I just sit back and do nothing? There's, there has to be some reaction. I wish I was smart enough to know exactly what the proportional response should have been. Uh, I certainly grieve for, this, for the citizens uh, of Gaza that are being killed at this point in time. How many of them support Hamas? I have no idea at this point. But Hamas is embedded within the civilian population. They're in the tunnels. They've got 240 hostages. What do you do at that point? Uh, do you say, oh, this, their response is way out of proportion? If so, what should be their response? And again, I don't have a great solution. Okay. Uh, John. Well, I, I think it's, um, we can hypothesize to the point that we're not really talking about what's going on and what led to the specific event and crisis that we face. So I, I'm one that thinks that we need to look at, at how the situation got this way and also what measures do we have, what institutions that would stop the violence before it gets uh, as excessive as it's getting. I'm disturbed by the fact that the United States doesn't seem to have a policy to use the United Nations. It, it uh, flouts uh, international law and it should be looking at every, every kind of world peace organization that exists and all the people who've been involved with trying to get communities that have been hostile towards each other together. There are people with experience in that. There are institutions with experience in it. They, the world, and especially these uh, leaders in position to make such decisions, should be trying to put these people uh, to the fore and have their arguments and their analyses to the fore. Instead, we get uh, back and forth of, you know, these people, they didn't kill as many as you said. Oh, yeah, they killed more than that. You know, and, we, and we, we're going to stand behind so-and-so and we're going to uh, wipe out this or that. And so this this kind of uh, response is going to get us nowhere except to lead to the next such fiasco and, and disaster. And uh, so that's what really bothers me, that we don't seem to have uh, statesmanship, stateswomanship, whatever kind of, you know, we don't seem to have the kind of leadership in our country that's using the institution, the United Nations particularly, but there are others too, and uh, the way we should be. 
and their voices aren't being broadcast much. You look at the television, listen to the radio, people who take that sort of approach are really drowned out or one side accuse each side then accuses such people of being, you know, either traitors or or bigots, or anti, you know, you're anti-Semitic if you think that Israel shouldn't wipe out um, everyone to the last Hamas. See, so, uh, you know, I would just like to see us use the United Nations first and foremost. But I mean, you know, I think one of the positive things to come out of this is that the I, I think we're going to end up with a two-state solution in the sense that I think we're not going to go back and that I think this what ha what's happened has really united the Arab world, the Arab community, and they're not going to let uh, Israel drive those uh, the people out of Hamas, out of Hamas. So I think there's eventually going to be a some sort of settlement, and the Israelis are just going to have to uh, deal with negotiating with the uh, I think with the Arabs to to move towards a two state solution. That's my well. Opinion. I'd be surprised to see any two state solution. I I think a democratic Israel would be my first. Uh, and I think there are people in Israel who would like to see a democratic Israel. I don't think, and I don't think that the Israelis are going to um, turn over the um, lead to their neighbors because I mean their neighbors have not not one of their neighbors has showed any inclination or ability to to have a, a democratic state even where they are. So I think that really the the big powers of the world are going to have to be more involved if they really want to have a democratic Israel. Right. I, I don't think the Arabs or Iranians or Muslims are going to do it quite the opposite, I think, with their current leadership. Okay, Hamp. I'm glad you got back, Doug. I, I, I wanted to say what I wanted to say when you when when uh, you were, you were oh, here. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, uh, I, I agree very much with what you just said, John, uh, uh, and and others that we we do have a structure in place, but it, the the United States is too uh, in love with its own position to be able to ac accept uh, what the UN says. And what's the guy's name? The the uh, the little fat white haired guy that 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 just got trashed as an anti semite because he said we we have to look at the antecedents of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I I thought he was absolutely right. Uh, and uh, Doug, uh, if you start looking at things with from ten seven, and you uh, think about you make analogies with somebody doing that here, absolutely. But you don't start with ten seven. Uh, you start with uh, if you follow, and and also if you follow through the Israeli point of view, you can you can get. Uh, all kinds of excellent rationalizations, but but if you follow it through from a Palestinian point of view, it's it's a whole other uh, uh, set of set of experiences, in, in, including just uh, this. There's been some very good maps of 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 what happened in uh, uh, Israel from 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 the founding of of uh, what happened to Palestine from the founding of Israel until now, and. And and Palestine had this big area here, and then it shrank these two little tiny things, and and they just lost everything. 
the the other the other analogy I want to talk about is uh, I think the correct analogy is uh, us and Vietnam, most of all. And, and we, we were all around uh, twenty to twenty four when that was going on, and and we were just getting formed and and, and sorting through where where we we were with that. And the United States was doing horrible, horrible things over there uh, with. Uh, burning people with uh, napalm and all that. And I think it's important to trace back where we are in terms of violence and the history of the country to uh, that, because that, that, was, that was a really formative thing for me. And I think it may have been for others of you also. I used to, I used to brood about it a, a great deal then. Uh, and, and just what, what positions we, we took there and 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 how we responded that's it oh one final thing i can say yeah. uh doug you're talking about visiting israel and, and uh peter did too and i don't know how many others of us have but i understand that it's really beautiful there and liz yeah uh i understand it's really beautiful there and i regret that i was was never there during 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 other times but then but but then the uh, minute I want to enjoy the uh, beauty and the outdoor cafes and the Mediterranean area and all that, uh, then I start thinking about the Palestinians getting displaced. That, that it was it was no longer. Uh, uh, who uh, who uh, you probably know can that 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 uh, left Israeli filmmaker. Uh, uh, I I was quoting her in the. Uh, uh email that i sent around that didn't have anything in it but but her uh she is wonderful she she she, she went and spent the summer interviewing settlers and and there's, there's all kinds of uh wonderful talks about uh exchanges that she has with people uh and and, and then she put it out and there's all these comments on it i, I i'm going to send it out but it shows the uh, settlers uh, having some compassion for the Israel uh, for the Palestinians, but not knowing them, hardly knowing them at at all. Even when they live, it, it, it's it's like the American South in black and white, right. uh, and, and it's it's two different worlds. Yeah, and uh, uh, her her first name is something like Iris or Idis, and and it's 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 about. 45 minutes of the settlers speaking and uh, they they mean well, but they're really, really oblivious. Yeah. Uh, Doug. Yeah, um, a couple of things that I'd like to say. Uh, the first time I was in Israel was shortly after the 67 war. Uh, uh, when Israel was uh, in charge, more or less. Uh, with uh, all the quarters of, of Jerusalem. And that was my first time visiting Jerusalem. And, um, you know, there were these four quarters, Armenian, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. And it, it in wandering around the streets, just on my own, um, I was impressed by how much 
modernization and improvement had already gone on in uh, two of the quarters. I guess it was the Jewish and the Christian quarter. Uh, and almost nothing in the um, in, 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 in the Muslim quarter. And my in thinking about that at the time, I thought, you know, if Israel wants to create a country that's open and free to everyone, uh, in which everyone has an equal chance, uh, the politics are open and so forth and so on, the last thing you want to do is to ignore uh, making improvements in, in the Muslim quarter. Just it, like, this is crazy. But that's that's what was going on at the time. So that's one kind of comment. Another thing I wanted to say that has nothing to do with, with, with this exactly is that I, I would doubt that any or many of you online have uh, have have read uh, uh, Netanyahu's autobiography, um, but uh, someone gave me his book uh, as a Christmas present last year, and it's a big tome about this fat. And I finally got through the whole thing, um, and I had some some comments about him in general. Um, one is that, I mean, he's a very bright guy. He came from this academic family. Um, his father was a, a professor at some university in the U.S. He's Penn. Still, I'm sorry? Penn. And, I think he was at okay. Penn or uh, another Philadelphia university. Okay. Philadelphia. Um, he graduated Harvard. No, he graduated MIT. MIT, <laughs> I think it was, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so he, he's a bright guy. Oh, he's, he, he, in addition to his autobiography, he's in, in that book, uh, he references maybe a half dozen other books that seemingly he has published. Uh, I haven't had a chance to, to, to search them out or anything. Uh, but that surprised me. So, you know, he's, He's an educated individual. And the other thing is, he's a very tough guy. Uh, I, I mean, we all know the story of his older brother who was, you know, killed when the Israelis went in to uh, break up the raid in Entebbe and so forth and so on. But uh, the, the current Netanyahu was also in the military as all uh, men in Israel have to do, except for exemptions for the extreme Orthodox who spend their time uh, arguing in the uh, over things in the Talmud or something. Um, and um, so he's been through a lot of wars and battle, and undoubtedly that has influenced the way in which he wants uh, Israel to respond probably to almost anything. So those are just things to keep in mind. Um, I guess that's all I'll say right now. Yeah, I mean, if I could say this, I mean, when I was when I worked at uh, at uh, CBS, they would send producers from New York over to uh, Tel Aviv uh, during the summers to we'd go. We'd have to go over there for about a, a month or so 
to, to, to relieve some of the correspondence there, this guy, Martin Fletcher, I think his name was. But anyway, I found, I, I went uh, maybe about two or three years, I'd go spend a summer to relieve the guys who were on vacation, who were at the bureau in uh, Tel Aviv. But I found it to be really uh, oppressive. I mean, I found it to really be a people that was, uh, and again, this is generalizing, but I mean, a people that was very closed, very belligerent. I mean, I felt it was like, uh, you know, a double whammy with being black and being uh, also, uh, you know, Arabic or, or with the Arabs. So, I mean, I just wanted to say that out. That was my impression of uh, Israel. Anyway, uh, go ahead, uh, Liz. Um. Okay, I'm going to try to be organized here. Uh, I didn't realize how big or how small Gaza was. And um, somebody put up a little uh, thing from CNBC. Uh, and if I got it straight, Gaza is the size of Philadelphia. Um, right. And it has one of the greatest population densities of any place in the world. And um, I was just thinking, what you know, what would it be like if suddenly somebody started bombing Philadelphia and you couldn't get out? You know, you couldn't leave Philadelphia. You just had to stay in Philadelphia. Um, and that's that to me was a kind of a telling way of thinking about things. Uh, so I wanted to say that. Um, the other thing is that uh, on the same Zoom call where I was talking about our one Trumpy, I think this was before we started um recording this call um this was six women we're all between 70 and 80 we're all well educated etc cetera, etc cetera. um and two of the women on the call are jewish and um i think also my sense not being jewish although my ex-husband was a secular jew um is that it evokes the Holocaust immediately for anybody who's Jewish. Uh, they were talking about the fact that the, the population of Fresno, which is where they live, which has a rather small Jewish population, um, has either two or three synagogues. It has a fairly large reform synagogue. Um, and last week there was a brick thrown uh, through the glass door at the synagogue. And uh, this, this evokes uh, a reaction that I can't have because it's not my background. And I think at the same time that this really affects anybody with Jewish background in a, in a way that is different than if one does not have a Jewish background. And I'll just put that out. Mm -hmm. um, and I also agree that as U.S. citizens, we don't have any moral ground to stand on. Um, you know. Peter. Well, well, first I'd commend Liz for keeping a Trump person in the group because I think at some level it helps a little bit. Anytime there can be, it's very hard for people in this polarized country to actually talk to each other, I've found and that whenever it's possible to do that is all to the good, I think. <clears throat> Respectfully, I might say, um, on the question of, of 
Israel's legitimacy. If Israel is not legitimate, then the United States is not legitimate. Yeah, I agree. You know? right. uh, and I, I don't know anything about uh, Israel's history, but I, I know Zionism goes back as a kind of ideology and dream to the 19th century. And the only thing I've really read about it is I read a great book about the Stern Gang. And, you know, Israel wasn't just handed to people after Second World War. The Stern Gang and the and the, what were the, the Jews were the terrorists under the British mandate. And right, right. and they fought for their country. Just they were like this Wild West. They were, I mean, they were like the white settlers in this country. So. uh I think the uh, the analogy probably is uh, is you know is to the American Indians, uh, and you know Israel Israel is is uh, like everybody else. Israel is going to exist as a, it's a matter of power and might, and uh, Israel is going to exist just like the United States is, is going to exist on into the future, way into the future, and. And you can be sure of that, I think, but it's a question of what form it's going to take. So uh, uh, I, I kind of think of it in terms a little bit of uh, Southern Africa. And in Southern Africa, countries went two ways. Uh, and this isn't this is not really analogous to Israel, but it's just I just throw it out as another matter of thought. In Rhodesia, there was a complete failure of imagination on the whites part and they chose being a numerical small minority they chose to fight a really bitter and horrible war for five years and uh, and they were driven out of the country and the bitterness and so forth resulted in a, a misfunctional country from now on. Well, in South Africa, be, partly because of the genius of Mandela, like Martin Luther King in this country, a kind of a uh, different transition was made. And that, 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 that analogy would be to if Israel were to somehow become one state bringing in the Palestinians and you have an actual democratic state. I, and I don't know whether that would be it the, the way the uh, Africans, the Zulus and Kosas and so forth, and the Afrikaners fought under apartheid, and before that, the warfare that, it, that took place in South Africa was so bitter and so horrible that uh, it does give you hope that there, there could be, a in the future, some transcendence of it. It would require... Like I say, in Rhodesia, they just lacked the imagination and they didn't have anybody to lead them into that. In South Africa, you had Mandela and some intelligent characters in the part in the Afrikaners who, who, who made that possible. Maybe that would be where uh, Israel could go. Uh, but I mean, I don't think Israel, does Israel have the numbers though? The, the numbers aren't there. There's so few... Jews compared to the uh, you know Arab Arabs, the I mean, demographics, the geographics don't work. The geographic situation too, yeah, is yeah. different. Yeah. A, a much tougher I, 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 road to hoe for Israel, I would say. 
So yeah, I, I'd like to make some comments too. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how many of you are aware of the um, governmental system in, in, in Israel, but it is a parliamentary democracy. And there are either four or five, depending upon how you count, Arab political parties, which are legal in Israel, and they vote. And depending upon the, the proportion of, that their votes are in, in general, they have more or fewer representatives to sit in their parliament. So, um, and usually what they do is they they, they form a kind of a, a community of, of, of the Arab uh, politics. And they, they're referred to either as, um, as the joint or the list uh, for whatever that means. And I don't know how much actual power they exert or not. Uh, Hardly any. But, but, but they're there. So that's at least something. I mean, you know, it, it may not, well, anyway. They don't have free rights, uh, political rights in Israel. You know that. You should get a Palestinian who knows the situation there to come and explain the curbs on their political activity in Israel. And, you know, let's not pretend that they have regular democratic rights in Israel. Yeah. If you, you think mean, they you do, think I'll send you, you don't think I can send you stuff from the Palestinians who comment on what they can and can't do inside Israel. Uh, are those Palestinian citizens of Israel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're citizens and it's just, it's apartheid. I mean, is what it amounts to. Yes. I think, I mean, uh, who's a, a hamp? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to go quickly because I have to go in a couple of minutes. Um, one of the highlights for me of last week that I was just listening to again last night was uh, uh, when Ezra was was uh, talking and he was talking very, the way I understand what he was talking about is how, how do we retain our humanity? How do we keep our tenderness and uh, that also ties in with all the people that have been traumatized by this, the adults and the children and all, all that. And when I was brooding over Vietnam, uh, I, I, uh, my uh, draft number was coming up and uh, I could see myself, if I went there, I could see myself losing that humanity by either joining the Viet Cong because I was so pissed at the whole thing, or if they allowed me to, or, 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 or becoming a Lieutenant Kelly because I was so pissed that buddies of mine had been blown up. Uh, and I could see myself totally hardened. And uh, because I have white privilege and Harvard privilege, I, I applied to, uh, uh, I, I use the fact that I've been in psychotherapy to uh, uh, get out of. Let <laughs> yeah, but... me pose a question to this very well-educated yeah. group. Um, and the question I really posed was, what should Israel do at this point? And I'm not talking about removing the settlements on the West Bank or giving Palestinians full citizenship and voting rights, et cetera. I mean, in terms of the current situation on the Gaza Strip, what should Israel be doing at this point? We're all appalled by the number of civilians that are being killed. I understand that. But there are 240 plus hostages that are still there. 
Hamas is still there. They are dedicated to annihilating Israel. What should Israel be doing right now? You guys are should be going for smart. a ceasefire. I think they should Sorry. go for a ceasefire, yep. Ceasefire, and then what? Then you have negotiations. Yeah. Negotiation, you negotiations with the right. other combatants and hostile people have finally had to have negotiations with one another, no matter what kind of violence they did or hatred they expressed towards one another. At some point, they got to sit down and negotiate it. So it might as well, the sooner the better. So you're saying negotiate and Hamas will then release the 240 hostages? Well, that'll be yeah. part of the negotiation. Yeah, and, they've already and, said and, that. And then, and then at that point in time, the Israelis should be Ag ag agreeing to say, well, Hamas, you killed 1,400 of our people. We've killed several thousand of yours. That's enough. Well, I mean, how much, what ratio? I think I predicted with Kent two weeks ago that it would probably be 10 to 1 killing. So it's getting towards that. And uh, so at what point then do you decide the calculus of how many of them you're going to kill makes up for how many of yours they killed? And then you're going to say, okay, after all those slaughtered, mostly innocent people are slaughtered, and then you're going to at some point say, okay, now we're going to sit down and talk. So the sooner the better. That's great. Uh, I, I, understand, I understand what you're saying, John, but for the psyche of, of the Israelis, I just can't see that happening. With the Holocaust... Well, some are for it. A lot of Israelis are for uh, ceasefire. A lot yeah. of Israelis are for not having the occupation be spread you know there there are voices in israel for that more than there are in the united states there's a lot of people in the jewish community in both areas that are demonstrating like hell that are pissed off that that are doing everything they can about this and and, and it's it's a real mistake to think about them as being monolithic you yeah. still voted for netanyahu Ma marcy is not that many marcy is putting her head up and down marcy what have you got to say I agree with what Hans just said. They're not, nobody is monolithic. Right. Um, and um, I like John's earlier idea. I think first there should either be release of all hostages or ceasefire or both. And then within two weeks, create a summit of all the people in peace groups who have thought about all this stuff for a long time and written about it, but also mothers, mothers of children under 18, an equal number of Palestinian, Israeli, Jewish, Muslim. I don't even know what all these terms mean. <laughs> but, but women who are known to be caring, practical, mm -hmm. sensible, honest, trustworthy people should be part of it. Well, I want to go back to the idea that it's very hard to know what's going on because each side is wanting to uh, present grievances and and inflating numbers of killed and not and so on and and so. But I think we can. I, I think we can safely say that that there's right and wrong on on both sides. And and where do we start? Where do we stop? Um, but I'm particularly aware of the fact that 
that I think the Israeli response is part is is largely determined by the Holocaust, and of course the centuries and uh, and millennia of of anti um, well not millennia but <laughs> and and no, anti millennia it is anti Semitism uh, and and the the fact that that the Jews were were accused of of not fighting back against the Nazis and being, you know, led to the slaughter like sheep and all of this and and the the cry never again. And I think that that's really, really strong in in the heart of every Jewish person um, for good for good reason and um, n- not to justify not to justify an overreaction or what they're what they're what some of them are doing in in that name, but to understand it and. I read a statistic somewhere that that Jews represent three percent of the uh, population in the U.S. Sixty percent of the hate crimes that are being committed are anti-Semitic now, and anti-Semitism has been a fact of life for so long, and I don't understand why really, but but I think we have to factor that in, um, and also that. I, I just wanted to say that there are a lot of of countries in the Middle East who are opposed to the two state solution, not just the Israelis, um, and it's going to take a lot of diplomacy to get them to 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 get through all this. I have been sitting here thinking about a an experience I had uh, maybe twenty years ago or more at a dinner party where there was a, a bunch of scientists, you know, Joel was a scientist. And um, there was an Israeli scientist and an uh, Arab scientist. And they were they had a very uh, cordial conversation about uh, what they thought should be done about the situation in Israel. And they agreed on it and, uh, you know, everything was fine. And then they started talking about the history, the background, and they had two totally different ideas of the history of of the whole situation. And I thought it seemed like they were going to come to blows. They were so distressed about it and this you know this was just a dinner party uh, uh, for a bunch of scientists after one of them had given a seminar um but the feelings were so strong and that's that's a kind of discouraging aspect of all of this on both sides the feelings are so strong if we could just begin to deal with things as they are right now <laughs> rather than trying to go back in history to justify this or that thing that had happened in the past and in in a sense that's what what how how things have been in in the world when there we were all accepting where the borders are and where what countries exist now and trying to kind of preserve the status quo uh, no matter how those countries got formed, whether they took over uh, all the Native American territory or, you know, whether the borders were once different. And it seems to me if we need to work on what's happening, what what the situation is right now without going back to the history 
and try to stop the fighting and then come up with some kind of solution that's going to st stick and not, you know, just go back to the same, same old uh, conflicts. But how we do that, I don't know. I was impressed in one of those videos about Say, uh, that said, well, the United States supplies a lot of money to both Israel and Egypt, and they could make them do various things. <laughs> and I don't, uh, I don't think we should necessarily do that, but we could have a big influence because of the money that we that we supply. And yeah, so that's what I have to say. <laughs> I agree that yeah, that the first the first thing that has to be done is to stop killing each other. Yeah. So yeah, a ceasefire. And then right. of course you, you have to negotiate. That's the only way any any uh, great conflict has ever ended. And but but Jerry wanted to know well, what should be the end result of the negotiation. We cannot decide that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean we can yeah. hope. What are, what are they saying in, in Spain? I mean, how's it playing uh, there? Well, I I, I I can't tell you. I haven't I haven't done a you know a survey, but uh, I I'll tell you what the press is saying. Uh, I mean, we we read El País, which is uh, we consider to be a very very good newspaper, um, and it I'm and we watch the uh, national TV news, uh, and the the media here are, are, obviously the reporters are just appalled at the numbers of of dead at the killings. And of course, everybody is horrified by by the murders on on October seventh. Um, you know whether whether these had been exaggerated, whether so certain of the atrocities might have been invented, but there there were atrocities, and there's no, there, nobody's there atrocities, got it. no matter what. Um, but 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 the you know the and the massive killings by 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 Israel and, and the penny. I mean, I I uh, reposted on Facebook. An interview that I found very moving by Etgar Carrot, uh, who's who, who who's best known in Israel as a writer of children's oh. stories. He's very popular, and he is just he is just torn. He has a son, seventeen, who's about to be drafted. You know, but but he can't. But they can't draft his son unless he gives his permission because he's an only son, and and in that case, you have to have the parents' permission before before they'll take a. Take a, a young man to you know to possibly get killed. So you know, but but what he said was I, the, the only lesson of this is if you if you lock people up in a cage tightly, they're going to eventually go for your throat. <laughs> I mean, obviously you have to stop provoking them. Well, listen. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk thank next you, week. Okay. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank 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 you. Thank